Father in heaven, we thank you for your watch care over us this past week. That even as COVID is raging all around us, as the numbers up are, are, are up or high, uh, I just thank you, Lord, that you've kept us safe, that you've been with us. And even for those that might have received or, or uh, contracted COVID, that you're still keeping us healthy and safe and being with us. And Father, even now as we pause in the midst of the Sabbath as it's about to open, um, or as it has opened for many of us already, that you would please draw close to us and guide us as we're about to study. May our time together this evening be profitable, not only for thy glory, but also for our own soul's sake as well. Thank you, O Lord, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our topic for this evening, we are continuing the Mount of Blessings studies that we have started just a couple of weeks ago. Last week, we looked at the salt of the earth. The week before that was the Beatitudes. And today, we're going to be studying the light of the world. If you've missed those studies, you can see them here on face, uh, Facebook or YouTube. But I also have a website, www.adventproductions.com. And you'll find many studies there along with all the videos that I've recorded up to this point as well. I just pray it'll be a good resource for all of you. But here we are continuing our Mount of Blessing study. We are in the light of the world. That is found in our first text here this evening in, pardon me, Matthew chapter 5 verses 14 to 16. The Bible says this, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. You let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now, although this text calls us to be lights of the world. It actually doesn't say how we can become a light of the world. So where we can begin this evening is by looking at that one thing. How, how can we actually become lights of the world? And let's... Pardon me, I'm just pressing all the wrong keys this evening. But let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6. The Bible says, For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Just as God commanded light to shine out of darkness at the very beginning when He created the world and He created light, He also wishes to shine light into our hearts as well. And what is this light? It says there in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, it is the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Now, friends, how did God actually command light to shine out of darkness at the very beginning? Well, it's there recorded in Genesis chapter 1. He simply spoke. God said this, God said this. He spoke everything into existence. And so if we want to be the light of the world, we need to begin by first allowing that light to shine into our hearts first. How? How does this light shine into our hearts? Let's familiar. I keep going to the wrong, I keep pressing the wrong button here. Excuse me. But let's go to a familiar text in Psalms 119, verse 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That light, my dear friends, is God's word the Bible. 
So if we want to be the light of the world, if we want the light to shine into our hearts, we need to have an interaction with the Word of God. Notice it doesn't have anything to do with going to church. Now, don't misunderstand me. Going to church is important. Going to church, I think, is necessary, but that doesn't make us the light of the world. We all have different reasons why we go to church, and sometimes they're motivated. It comes from a motivation of wrong things, whether it's a girl I like, or whether it's the food or the fellowship that I enjoy. But you see, we don't always become lights of the world by going to church. It doesn't mean that we can't become lights of the world by going to church. To many people, that's where it all began. That's where we first maybe heard the voice of God speaking to our hearts and shining into our hearts as well. But you see, the foundation of it all is God's Word. That is what must shine into our hearts. And why is this so important? For the Word of God to shine into our heart first. Well, let's go back to the very beginning in creation to see the parallel that the creation of the world or before the creation of the world has with our heart. Let's go to Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 to 2. This is what the Bible says. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. You see, before God created anything, before He spoke anything into existence, before He created light, the Bible says that the earth was formless, it was void, and it was dark. Now, what do these words mean? As we look at this definition, you'll actually begin to see the parallel that this world was, before God created anything, to our hearts today. You see, the word formless means desolation. It means worthless. It means vain, confusion, an empty place. That's formless. How about void? That word void means indistinguishable ruin and emptiness again. And then dark? Well, that means misery, destruction, death, ignorance, sorrow, and wickedness. You know, this sounds a lot like the earth that we live in today because many of our hearts are actually like that. It's dark, it's formless, it's void, it's empty. Many of us are living empty lives, confused lives, lives full of sorrow and wickedness. And so before God can actually call us to be lights of the world and lights to the world to shine to others, he needs to shine that light into our hearts first. You see, Peter puts it this way in First Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Before God can choose us to be His people, He needs to call us out of darkness first into His marvelous light. And we can't possibly be a light to the world when we ourselves are still living in darkness, when we ourselves actually need the light from someone else to be shining into our hearts as well, right? We can't possibly tell people about Jesus when we ourselves 
don't know Him or are living a, are not living a life like His, there needs to be an obvious change. Just as light is opposite to darkness, in order for us to show forth the praises of Him who has called us out of darkness into His marvelous light, it's, it's not just from a mouth declaring the Word of God, but there needs to be a change in our life first. Really, that is the foundation. Because if we tell people about things that we ourselves are not living or doing or even experiencing, we are no better than the Pharisees in the olden days who we know to be hypocrites. And so, you know, light doesn't represent only the Bible. What else does it represent? Let's go to John chapter 8 and verse 12. The Bible says here, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. What does the light represent there, friends? It represents none other than Jesus Christ Himself. So look, the Bible must impact our lives because that is light as well. The Bible must impact our lives in such a way that the lives that we live now represents the character of Jesus. His character formed within our hearts and in our lives. His life is our life. His thoughts need to become our thoughts. His desires and purposes need to become our desires and purposes. It's not just about a round of reading the Bible and doing our daily devotions, making, you, making sure you pray every day. That's not what just simply makes us the light of the world. But there must be the understanding of God's Word that speaks to each of us so uniquely and so intimately that the life that we now live is exactly the way that Jesus would have lived it if He were in our shoes or in our position today. So, to be called the light of the world is, is not just simply a command, but it is a lifestyle. It's not just something that we can raise our hands and say, okay, I want to be the light of the world, right? No, it's a calling, friends. It's an experience. We must be born again. Old things must pass away. There must be a new creature, a new person that is created in Christ Jesus that is formed within unto all these good works. There must be an obvious change. The Bible must shine into our hearts and we can know that it has been effective as we see how our lives change on the outside as Jesus' character shines out. Just as a city that is put on top of a hill, when it shines out at night especially, it cannot be hid. It's obvious to everyone that is around in that area, that, that light, even though maybe you might not even see the city itself because it's up so high, you see a glow that is coming up and out from the just beyond those hills there, right? A city that is set on a hill, it cannot be hid. So a life that is lived in Christ it cannot be hidden as well. It will be obvious. And it's not even something that can be forced, you know. Yes, there'll be struggles. But the desire for change, the desire for a better life, the change in focus and purpose, that comes from spending time in God's Word. That is what God gives us through His Holy Spirit. And as the Word of God is implanted into our hearts and minds, it, it just creates something that has never been there before. Just as light did not exist 
when the world was there, God had to create something out of nothing. And the Word of God has that ability to do just that very thing, to create something that was never there before. We had no purpose there before, but yet God is the one that gave it. It will create those desires, friends, a desire for a more holy life. That is something that is not forced. Now, in Matthew 5, it also compares shining our light to a candle giving light to a room. Let's refresh that. Let's go back to Matthew 5 and read verse 15. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. It's logical. You know, friends, we we don't light a candle and put it under a basket. We don't put it under a cup or a bowl. That would simply extinguish the light from the candle. It's not that people are intentionally doing that. There There is no such thing as a hidden or secret light, especially when it comes from a candle, right? We can't just say, oh, I don't want to shine my light today. It's not something that we can just turn on and off at will. What Jesus is trying to say here is that if you have the light, if you have His light, it will shine. People will be able to see it. It cannot be hidden, no matter how hard we try. We think that we have this light, but it's just hidden, right? Some of us may think, oh, yeah, yeah, I I read the Bible. I I spend time in the prayer. And oh, well, you you know what you're saying, even though I don't have that, I know I have the Word of God. But you know, friends, it's not enough just to think, oh, I have light, but it's just hidden, you know, no one can see it. That really is just self-deception. We're just deceiving ourselves. The light is not hidden. There cannot be no such thing as light in a heart, but it's hidden. No one else can see it. We are just, I guess, trying to comfort ourselves with the thought that I'm just reading the Bible. I'm going to church every day. I must be a good Christian. Yes, I'll be saved. Uh, I'll be all right. And yeah, this is what God wants of me. But you know, friends, the light that is hidden, it just means that we have no light at all. Meaning, if we aren't shining light for others to see, we don't have any light in our hearts. Let me put it a different way. God has called us all to be light to the world. He's called every Christian to be that light. We all ought to have the character of Christ, and and our characters cannot be hidden. We will either shine the character of the world, or we will shine the character of Christ. It's not that on-off switch that we turn on and off at will, like how we turn on the light bulb and turn it off, right? We cannot force ourselves to, to be light. It is something that will come naturally based upon the time that we are spending beholding that very thing. And to us, of course, it is the Word of God. You see, friends, in Luke 11.34, the Bible says, The light of the body is the eye. Therefore, when thine eye is single, the whole body also is full of light. But when thine eye is evil, thy body also is full of darkness. How we spend our time, what we choose to behold with our eyes, will determine whether light is entering our lives or whether darkness is entering our lives. And ultimately, how we live will determine what's in our hearts, right? So the influence of our lives 
It cannot be hidden. There will always be a, a, a pervading influence from every person. You might be the quietest person in the room, in the world, but you will always still have an influence as to whether the light is in your, in your body or whether the darkness is there. And so that question really we should ask ourselves, is our body full of light or is it full of darkness? You see, in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 15, it also says that the candle, it must be put where? On a candlestick. And as a result, it will give light to all that are in the house. What does the candlestick represent? Well, in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 20, the Bible says, The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. So what does a candlestick represent there? A candlestick represents a church or the church. So whilst we are not saved by attending church, it is through the church that God has ordained for light to shine to the whole world. Look, we must shine our light as individuals. That's really important. It must begin there in our personal relationship with God and His Word. But the church is what God will use to shine His character to the whole world. So the church is important. But, you know, what does it mean to shine this light, though? And how is it connected to the church? How, how can we make it practical for ourselves today? Like, Let's dig a, dig a little bit deeper as we come back to Matthew 5 and, and go a little bit further. We know that, look, we are that light. We, I mean, we need to be that light. We know that that's the Word of God. That's Jesus living in our hearts. But somehow it's got to be on a candlestick in order for it to go to the whole world, right? For everybody in the room to see. But how is this all connected? In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16, this is what we read. This is the last verse of the three that we read in relation to the light of the world. Matthew 5, 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. The Bible says that we must shine our light before men. And that light is connected with some sort of good works. What good works is this? How may we know what we should be doing in regards to works at this time? Is it just simply living our godly, sanctified lives? I mean, what does that even mean, right? How do we know if we're living a godly, sanctified life? So the, the result, though, is mentioned here in Matthew 5.16 that we just read. It says what? That when people see us shining our light, they will see our good works. They will end up glorifying our Father, which is in heaven. They will give glory to God, right? There's a result. So we can actually understand what sort of light is in us or whether it's darkness based upon how other people are influenced and whether they are giving glory back to God or not. But what does it mean to give glory to God? Well, let's go to familiar text here. In Exodus 33, this was Moses speaking to God. He had this audacity to ask him this in verse 18 of Exodus 33. He and, and he said, Moses said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And how does God respond in verse 19? He says, And I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. 
and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. So as, as God answers uh, to Moses, who, who wanted to see his glory, how does God reply? He says, well, you want to see my glory? It's my goodness. It's my graciousness. It's my mercy. Basically, it's what? It's my character. And so when people see our good works in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16, they in turn will give glory to God. They will also begin to shine the light of God's character to those around them as well. So what sort of good works can we have that will lead people to see those good works and the result? They'll give glory to God. They, they will shine the character of God. They will tell others about the God. They'll, they'll be there at church. Whatever good works it is, we might think, right? So when people see us nowadays, whether you're Christian or not, they see a patient person. They see a kind person. I mean, that's what we should be, right? They see someone feeding the, the, the homeless and all these sorts of things. But you know, all these works actually at least the ones I mentioned, they don't separate us from the rest of the world. They don't separate us from the rest of the other religions, right? There are institutions that are set up to feed the homeless. There are many people that don't even have a religion, but they're kind and nice and gentle. So those works don't really like, oh, I was kind to this person, I gave them an extra five ring, and they go, praise God. No, they don't do that. So what are these works then that we talk about when it comes to a Christian? Well, Let's, let's say, for example, going to church on Sabbath, keeping the Sabbath holy, right? That's a good work that the Bible says we should do. In fact, it's part of the Ten Commandments, right? It's just as important as don't steal, don't lie, right? Honor your parents. We, we got all these Ten Commandments, right? The Sabbath is part of that as well. And, you know, when we keep the Sabbath and people see us going to church on Saturday, you know what happens? They don't go, oh, praise God, you went to church on Saturday. They don't do that right? They go, why do you do that? They think it's strange. They don't give glory to God. They think we're a cult. They think we're some sort of strange group of people, right? People, when they see us going to church, they do not turn around and praise God. Sometimes it's quite the opposite. They got more questions. They even question whether God is with us or not, right? So that can't be one of the works that people see and then they'll in turn Glorify God, our Father in heaven, right? That's not one of those works. I'm not saying it's not important. We should be kind. We should feed the homeless. We should help the poor. We should, we should be generous. We should be patient. We should be all these good things. We should go to church on the Sabbath. But that is not the works, it seems, like what Matthew 5 is saying. Let's have a look at another one. How about our diet reform? Becoming a vegetarian, maybe. I mean, when people hear that you're a vegetarian nowadays, you know, when you go to a restaurant and you sit there and you go, uh, I don't eat meat, they go, what? They don't go, oh, praise God, you don't eat meat. They don't say that. They're not giving glory to God. They don't know that even you're a Christian. When you don't eat meat, they might think you're a Buddhist or New Age or a weirdo, right? So our diet reform doesn't really turn around and go, oh, praise God. It doesn't do that. Right? It makes us more peculiar, more weird. And people just think we are downright weird because we are vegetarian. They think you're not getting enough nutrients. They got all sorts of reasons, right? So look, it's important to take good care of your health. It's, it's good to follow the health principles.
But people do not turn around and give glory to God when they see you living this super healthy vegetarian lifestyle. All right? Uh, I, I, I follow this one bodybuilder. He's vegan and he does all these uh, body weights and everything, but no one gives glory to God because he's vegan and he's healthy. No, they just admire him that he has such defined muscles and all that sort of thing. So these sort of things don't give glory to God. We, we should be healthy. We need to be healthy. We should be like that. We should take care of our health. But that's not, it doesn't seem to fit like what Matthew 5 is talking about. How, well, how about living in the country or ladies wearing long skirts? You know, these sorts of things sometimes just make us more weird in the minds of other people, especially those of the world, rather than actually giving glory back to God. Look, don't misunderstand what I'm trying to say. We need to have all these good characters, all these good actions that shine out to the world. The Bible is very clear about it. But that's not what it's referring to. You see, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, the Bible says this, Do all things without murmuring and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shall shine as lights in the world. You know, we must be blameless. We've got to do things without murmuring. We need to allow the character of God, yes, to shine through our lives, but it doesn't always result in people giving glory to God. At most, what does it do? It can get people interested as to why we live a certain way or eat a certain way or why we're so kind. Now, people are more interested in the religion and the God that we serve, right? It has that sort of influence, but it doesn't at that point help people get to that state where they are giving glory back to God, where they themselves are shining the character of God. It can make them inquire about us, but it's not the end result. So then what is the work then, really, that we should be doing, that when people see our good works, they will actually glorify God? What is it? Well, you see, light represents what? It represents the Bible. And what we can do is call people out of darkness, as 1 Peter 2.9 says. That's what we read earlier. Let me show you another text. In Romans chapter 10, verse 14 and 15, look at this. How then shall they call on Him, in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him, of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Do you see that? How can we call on Him? How can a person, not we, a person out there call on God in whom they don't even know or believe? What needs to happen? A preacher needs to be sent. We need to become the channel of blessing to the whole world. This is the Gospel Commission. Because you see, when people see our lifestyle, it's something that will attract them, maybe, or ask questions like, why do you do this? But it's not the end result. In order for them to come to worship this God, they got to get to know Him, right? How, they, how, how can they call on Him whom they haven't believed or they don't even know, right? And that's why we need preachers to be sent. You see, 
In Mark chapter 16 and verse 15, the Bible says, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. This was the gospel commission that Jesus left with his disciples. We got to preach the gospel to every person in this whole world. And not just preach. You see in Matthew chapter 28, it says a little different. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. We must preach. We must teach. And you know what, friends? This commission, yes, Jesus, when he gave it before he ascended up into heaven, he gave it to his disciples. And they seemed like they had some sort of training, right? But you know, friends, this is not just for trained pastors and trained teachers. No, friends, this gospel commission is for every single Christian. It's given to every single one of us who claim the name of Christ. Everybody ought to be a teacher or a preacher. And unless we rise up to that calling, people will be continually left in darkness. You see, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, it says this, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Who is this God of the world? That is none other than Satan. And he's doing all that he can, all that he can, to keep people in darkness, to prevent them from hearing about this gospel, understanding about this gospel, to prevent them from knowing anything about the gospel, the good news, of Jesus Christ, how He came and He lived this life amongst all of us and and died so that we can be set free from sin and death to give us a hope for the future. Friends, there are many people that are just sitting in darkness. And so often, us as Christians, we're content, content to reap the blessings of the gospel, content to just keep it to ourselves like ancient Israel did until God had to bring captivity upon them, send them to other nations like Babylon. And there it was when they were in prison in Egypt, when they were serving a a pagan king, that then they were converted. Not the Israelites, but the pagans, the heathens. The gospel of God was shining out to everybody. Many people came to hear and understand about it. and, And then that is what God desires for us today. But you see, friends, if we are to be the light of the world, we need to be found sharing the gospel. Yes, there's teaching, there's preaching. We we can sell books door to door. We can give out pamphlets that contain the word of God. All of this, yes, whatever we can to get the word of God into the hands of others. Personally sharing it. God is calling every single one of us to do that, my dear friends. No matter how much you think God has not called you to share the Bible, you've mistaken your calling, friends. You may be the quietest person on this earth, but God is still calling you to share the gospel today. Not only is it found in our commission, it's found in our end time prophecy. In Revelation 14 and verse 6, it says, I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. You see that angel that's mentioned there that's flying in the midst of heaven? It's not a literal angel. It, that, that word angel simply means messenger. 
God has called each and every one of us to be His messenger, to preach the gospel, the everlasting gospel to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. My dear friends, that messenger is you. That messenger is you. God is calling you. He's calling every single one of us to share the gospel to the whole world, to every person on this earth. And this is why then the church becomes so important as an institution. The work of God must be organized. We must learn to train people, to empower them, to give them um, what is it, experiences and opportunities to teach and to preach. The pulpit must not always be occupied just by the pastor, but we got to learn to teach and to preach and to share. And I know firsthand that, you know, if you don't get involved in teaching and preaching, you'll never get better at it. I always remember one of the first Bible studies I gave. It was to my best friend back then. He was in high school. His name was Ben as well. And I I think he's not Christian today because of me, because that Bible study was so boring. We never had a Bible study ever again. But thank God for that opportunity. Thank God that even though I failed so miserably, God, He still allowed me to get involved in the ministry of teaching and preaching. I remember so many of the bad sermons that I've given. I remember one sermon that I preached when I was studying theology where where I, I gave an appeal and, and everyone stood up. And you know, my, my teacher, you know, they, they recorded this and the teacher for a speech and homiletics class, he, he reviewed my sermon. He says, you know why people stood? It's because they felt sorry for you. Oh, I was shattered. It was hurtful. And it was, you know, every time after that I come to, to giving appeals, I get so nervous. I get so scared. I remember my experience from the past. But you know, friends, no one's born a perfect teacher or preacher. Maybe there are a few And we go, yes, yes, that person definitely called to preach. I know some preachers where they say, oh, from the beginning, I never wrote any scripts and I just stood up and preached. God definitely has a very clear calling for some people. But guess what? Everybody is called to teach and to preach. Because, you know, friends, after we've shared the gospel, after we've shared from the word of God what the Bible teaches, guess what? We must bring people to the church. After all, the church was established by God. This is where they'll get baptized. They're baptized into the church. Yes, at the beginning, they're baptized into Christ. But after that, they're baptized into the church. This is biblical. You know, people say, oh, I can worship God at home. Yes, you can, but that's not what God wants you to do. You see, in Acts chapter 2, after the Pentecost, after Peter preached this powerful sermon, it says what? In Acts chapter 2, verse 27, Pardon me, I think it is verse 47, not 27. I got the text wrong there. But it says, The Lord added to the church daily, every day, such as should be saved. Through teaching and through preaching, through the sharing of the Word of God, people were getting baptized. And yes, they got baptized into Christ first, but at the same time, they were added to the church. Why were they added to the church? To be saved? Of course not. They were saved by being baptized into Christ, right? So then why a candle on a candlestick? Why should we, filled with the light of God's Word, as we shine, should we be placed on a candlestick? Why add them to the church? So that we can come together and be trained for service. To be given a mission and a vision. To be given marching orders that we might know how to impact 
the people around us and to be a blessing to the whole world. There needs to be system and order. It's not just going out and preaching whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want. No, friends. It's also that we can also bring people into the church that they might also worship God with us, our Savior and our friend and our Lord. You see, the church, it needs to be organized or used to be organizing people for service. You know, that's what God desires to do with each and every one of us today. So many of us, and myself included, grew up just going to church and then going home and doing my own thing not realizing the importance that church had in each of our lives to fulfill this gospel commission, to be a light to the whole world. And Jesus, He's calling each and every one of us to be that light today, to teach, to preach, to share the gospel message to the whole world without which Jesus cannot come. You see in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 14, it says this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. Then shall the end come. You know, this is a prerequisite. This is what must happen before Jesus can come back for a second time. The gospel must be preached to the whole world. So you know what, friends? The fact that Jesus has not come, it means that we as Christians are the hindrance because we're not preaching the gospel. Why? I'll tell you why in my life. It's because I was too caught up with the world too caught up with making and earning a living, too caught up with my studies, too caught up with my relationships that didn't glorify God. You see, I was caught up with going shopping and entertainment and holidays and all of that. You know, even as the borders are opening, we, we, we get caught up and we, we forget that God has given us a very clear call, a very clear vision and a very clear mission. He's called us to be that light for Him. And I pray, I pray that we would learn to just take that break before God takes away our houses and our lands and gives us all that time to think and to pray, before God does to us what He did to the Israelites where He gave them so much blessing. He gave them the land of Canaan for free. They didn't even have to fight. They inherited a land flowing with milk and honey. They got all these blessings and then they put up walls around them to keep everyone out. For what? Just so that they themselves could be blessed. Sometimes, you know, we reap the blessings of the gospel, not realizing that God is the one that gave it so that we can in turn be that blessing to somebody else. Friends, let's learn to do that while we have those blessings before God, He brings us into captivity like the Israelites and what He desired for us to learn in peace and safety and and multitude of blessings, we learn under the most forbidding circumstances. But even then, Daniel Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shone through. Even then, Joseph would shine through in the Egyptian heathen courts because he had his sight set on Jesus. God had given him a different vision and a different mission. And God is giving that vision and mission to us today as well, friends. He's calling us to be lights to the world. No matter where we are, no matter where we go, that God, He wants us to be His witnesses today. It's my prayer that we will rise up to this calling, rise up to this challenge, that we might be a blessing to all around us. May God help us to that end. Let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, that you have called us and that you're still calling us. 
Thank you for your patience because so often, Lord, we we have not lived according to your will. We've not done what you wanted us to do. Lord, please forgive us and help us to see our light, uh, our life in the light of eternity. Help us to see what you're calling us today as sons and daughters of Christ. And Lord, by the grace of God, give us your Holy Spirit that we might rise up to this challenge and this occasion. For without you, we can do nothing except that we just keep running back to our old lives of sin. Lord, please baptize us with your Spirit again. Give us a new purpose. Give us new desire. Give us a deeper desire even for your Word and a relationship with you as well. Bless us, O Lord, and may you continue to strive with us and strengthen us that truly we might be called the light of the world today. Thank you, Lord, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.